What's going on, Card Nation? Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. With you, as always, your host, Taylor Lynch, on a Thursday night. My co-host, Lewis Metzinger, not with me this evening, I'm enjoying a little bit of a vacation in Savannah, Georgia, right now. So, um... I'm sure he's very upset that he's not here, but, uh, you know, he's here in spirit. We've got a a big show lined up for you guys tonight. We're going to be talking a little bit of NBA draft as that is set to get underway here in just about an hour. Um, So we'll be talking about that, giving you the the Donovan Mitchell perspective of things as he has really shot up the draft boards and some of the mock drafts, and we'll take a look at that as well. Also tonight, um, after the NBA draft, hopefully Donovan Mitchell goes early so that we can all switch over and watch the Cardinal 9 take on TCU tonight at 8 o'clock. We'll get into that game a little bit, an elimination game, win or go home for the Cards tonight. Um, We'll get into that and some of the scenarios and the stakes in that one. Also, I want to touch on this. We talked about all of the uh, the allegations and the, the punishments that were handed down to the Louisville basketball program last week. I really want to talk this week about this letter that came out late last night, early this morning from Rick Pitino, um, kind of talking a little bit about those uh, penalties and and just overall and the whole process, I really want to read that letter to you guys because um, I think it's um, I think it's really good and, and something that we should hear. And then, of course, tonight the summer football preview series will continue. We'll be talking North Carolina football with Evan Davis of the Tar Heel blog, uh, Tar Heel blog on SB Nation. Uh, so Evan's going to be joining us here in about a half an hour, and we will pick his brain on all things Tar Heels coming up on the show. So you guys know how to get in touch with us. Of course, hit us up on Twitter at the Breakdown UL at Lewis Metzinger, at Taylor Lynch. Also, make sure, guys, you are sharing this podcast out with all of your friends, letting them hear it. Um, if you're listening on the podcast app on iTunes, it's really easy to do. Go to the bottom and just hit share and share that thing out. We appreciate it. Um, viewers, or, I mean, uh, listenership keeps going up every single week. So thank you all. It's all because of you and sharing it out and supporting what we do here on the show. So, all right, let's get into an NBA draft coming up tonight. Of course, we all know, for the most part, because of the trade that was made earlier in the week, it looks like Markel Fultz will be the number one pick in this year's NBA draft, uh, going to the 76ers, who now acquired that pick from the Boston Celtics. According to Draft Express, they have then the Lakers taking Lonzo Ball with the second pick, Jason Tatum going then to Boston, uh, Josh Jackson from North Carolina, or I'm sorry, no, um, Kansas, I believe, Josh Jackson. Let me check now, because now I'm going to feel really stupid if I get this thing wrong here. So let me look. There we go, Kansas. Ha-ha. All right, so Josh Jackson of Kansas going then in the with the fourth pick, and that would be to as we're waiting for Draft Express. I think everybody right now is on Draft Express uh, checking the latest mock drafts and seeing where their guy's going. Um, Josh Jackson would be going to Phoenix with the fourth pick. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, a local guy out of Kentucky, uh, right now looks like he is going to be a Sacramento King. Then, of course, you have Jonathan Isaac to the Orlando Magic. A foreign player whose name I'm going to not even attempt to mess up. 
uh, going with the seventh pick. Malik Monk, the eighth pick to the Knicks. Um, Dennis Smith out of North Carolina State, the ninth pick to the Mavs. Zach Collins of Wake Forest, also to Sacramento. And then Donovan Mitchell right now, the 11th pick going to the Charlotte Hornets. And then rounding out kind of the top 15, you've got Luke Kennard, John Collins, um, and Justin Jackson of North Carolina. I said uh, Zach Collins was from Wake. He is not. John Collins is from Wake, Mr. Short Shorts. Um, The 13th pick right now to the Denver Nuggets, if it all holds. And this is the latest mock draft on Draft Express. Draft Express, a pretty reliable source. So, with that being said, Donovan Mitchell... The 11th pick right now, all signs are pointing to him going in that 11th spot to Charlotte. Charlotte has said if Donovan Mitchell is there, they will draft him at number 11. And a couple weeks ago, Lewis and I went through and kind of looked at some of these teams that had the potential to draft Donovan Mitchell and and were really talking about what we thought was going to be a good fit for him. And when you look at that roster right now in Charlotte. And I'm not talking about a competitive standpoint. I'm talking about like for Donovan to have the opportunity right now to show up somewhere and get some playing time and get some minutes. When you look at that roster in Charlotte, I think that that sets up really well for him to actually get some playing time um, at the two-guard spot. Because when you look at their roster right now, Nicholas Batum played some guard uh, in 77 games this year for him, averaged 15 points a game. Marco Bellinelli played some guard, some forward in 74 games, averaged 10.5 points. Um, Trevion Graham played in just 27 games at the guard forward spot. Um, Going down the list here, Jeremy Lamb played in 62 games, averaged 9.7 points. Brian Roberts played in 41 games, averaged 3.5 points. Ramon Sessions in 50 games, averaged 6.2 points. Of course, Kimball Walker is the guy there uh, in Charlotte at the guard spot, 79 games, 23.2 points. But when you go down the list, you really don't see another guy in the two-guard spot that really complements Kimball Walker. I just have a feeling that Donovan Mitchell, I mean, you, you can't tell me that Donovan Mitchell can't come in and challenge Marco Bellinelli and his ten and a half points a game uh, at the at his spot, or even Jeremy Lamb uh, and his nine point seven points per game. I just feel like that roster does have some young talent. I mean, you look at Miles Plumley at center. You look at Frank Kaminsky. Uh, you've got some guys, uh, Cody Zeller as well. I mean, you've got some talented players. And, of course, as I mentioned, Kimball Walker. Um, and I think Batum and Bellinelli are, are good players as well. But I just really think that Charlotte doesn't really have a true two-guard. And I think that that is what Donovan Mitchell brings right now to the table. Now, there are some people that say, you know, if Donovan's going to play and, and really make an impact at the next level, that it's going to be at the point guard position. But... And we saw him play a little bit when Peyton, I mean, uh, listen to me, um, when Q was injured a little bit this year. We saw him go to a little bit of the point guard. But I think that 
for him to just show up at a team, show up with a team right now and get some playing time, I, I like his situation at Charlotte. Now, obviously, and, and I saw Nick Birch say this, that uh, the team he wants to draft Donovan Mitchell is the one that's on TV the most, and that's true. And Charlotte isn't on TV as much, uh, but I do, I do think that that's a good position for him. Because obviously, when we see these guys go to the league, and, and this has been the argument from our fans to the East, or our friends to the East, for some time, is that you know Louisville doesn't put guys in the league, or Louisville puts guys in the league, and they're there for you know a season or half a season, and then they're bounced, and they're somewhere else. And So I think really you want to see Donovan get into a spot where he's going to be able to play and going to have some staying power, uh, and be able to make an impact. And I think he can make an impact in Charlotte right away. Um, and, and I think that the program really needs that. And from a reputation standpoint, and, and that's always been a knock on, on Coach P. So I think that, you know, it could be good for everybody involved. So I like it. I, I like the idea of him going to Charlotte. Uh, I think, again, him teaming up with Kemba Walker, being a nice compliment to what Kimba does, I think is awesome. So we will see, though. We will we will see exactly what happens. Again, the draft, there's a countdown here. Let's see. Uh, 76ers are on the clock. And what's our countdown? We're 49 minutes right now away uh, from the number one first selection in the draft, and that is the 76ers of course with the number one pick the Lakers the second pick Boston Phoenix and Sacramento rounding out your top five Philly has the first pick the 36th 39th 46th and 50th pick in this year's draft so they will be on the board quite a bit again just kind of running down on Markel Foltz Lonzo Ball Jason Tatum Josh Jackson De'Aaron Fox Jonathan Isaac Lori Markani Markakin Malik Monk, Dennis Smith, Zach Collins, Donovan Mitchell, Luke Kennard, John Collins, and Justin Jackson. Rounding out that top 14 selections there. Uh, a lot of ACC flavor in this in this top. I mean, you look at guys, obviously, Dennis Smith, John Collins, Donovan Mitchell, Luke Kennard, Justin Jackson. A uh, lot of, lot of uh, ACC flavor here in this first round early mock draft we'll see what happens though I think it's going to be exciting um I'm really wondering what's going to happen if the Lakers do in fact take Lonzo Ball I just I I don't know I don't know I feel like it's what everybody in LA wants um and I feel like we know it's what Lonzo Ball's dad wants um I don't know if you're the Lakers, man. It's like, you know the the saying when you get married, and they say, you know, you're marrying, uh, you're not just marrying the girl, you're, you're marrying the family too. When you're the Lakers, you're not just drafting Lonzo. You're drafting his dad, you're drafting his brothers, you're drafting that whole circus that comes with taking Lonzo Ball. I don't know if I were a GM if I really wanted to take that on, I mean, yeah, Lonzo's a good prospect, but I don't know if it's worth the, 
the circus that you're going to get. And that's one thing to say about Donovan Mitchell. Uh, he may be one of the most humble, level-headed guys in this year's draft. So we shall see again the draft tonight. 7 o'clock is when it all gets underway. And we will be watching closely, letting you guys know as soon as our boy Donovan Mitchell, the spider, is off the board. So let's move on now a little bit. Um, I kind of want to stick in the – we'll stay in this basketball vein for a few minutes here. Um, I want to let you all know about this letter that Rick Pitino wrote to the Friends of the Ville, um, the booster group for UofL basketball. And it's really good. I kind of want to read the whole thing. So you know what? I think I will because it's just you and me tonight. He goes into a lot of detail about the conversation he tried to have with Andre McGee and the allegations and the penalties. It's just a really good letter. Of course, somehow, some way, KSR had this uh, letter first, and then Terry Miner had it uh, on his Facebook page, and now we have it for you guys here. So <clears throat> here we go. This is Rick Pitino's response here. It says, Dear Friends of the Ville, I'm writing you I'm writing to you as close supporters and friends of the Ville members. You are special to me and I realize you have endured a lot over the last 2 years. When the news first came out in 2015, it sunk my emotion to the lowest point anyone could possibly imagine. I write this letter to tell you and encourage you to keep your spirits high. First and foremost, I believe that the truth will prevail and justice will be served. We hired Chuck Smurt to guide us through the process. As an ex-NCAA enforcement staff member, Chuck directed us on what to do immediately based on the findings of the NCAA enforcement staff, and we did exactly what he directed. We took away a chance to possibly go to a Final Four and win a national championship. We were ranked 11th at the time with an experienced team and imposed scholarship reductions and limited recruiting contacts. Based on the nature of what we of what one of our ex-employees did. The committee penalized us beyond reason for the charges that were presented against us. Let me clear up the following and leave no doubt that this is the truth and the only truth. Billy Minardi Hall was built in memory of my best friend and brother-in-law who lost his life in 9-11. If I knew anything that was going on there that could dishonor his name, that person wouldn't be able to get out of town fast enough. I was told during the process that I didn't have or that I didn't ask pointed questions. Well, what does that mean exactly? I asked our staff if the recruits enjoyed themselves, what did they do? How did they like everything? I then met with their families for breakfast and asked the same questions. No, I did not ask if they saw any strippers last night. I can assume, or I can assure you, that if I asked Andre any difficult question, he would have lied to my face to avoid immediate termination. For, for background, I was coaching the Puerto Rican national team in Mexico when reports of the book first broke. I tried calling Andre to see if it was true. He wouldn't answer. I then called Kareem Richardson, my ex-assistant and Andre's boss. I asked Kareem to get Andre on the phone with him. Kareem was the head coach of UMKC and Andre was his assistant. I got right to the point. Did you have non-students in our dorm? His response was, 
a girl that he was dating brought one of her daughters and her friends and they listened to music with the guys. I then asked, who is this woman you're dating? He said he met her at a convention. I then asked, what does she do? His response, after months of reflection, was absurd. He said she was a party planner. I exploded on the phone. I said, you brought girls into a dorm to listen to music because they were, because you were dating a party planner. Mike Bellotto was sitting next to me. I was yelling so loud that I started to feel sick. I hung up, and he swore to me that nothing improper happened and that they were just listening to music. I called back and asked Kareem, did he believe him? His response was, why would he lie? The truth will come out. I then spoke to Kenny Klein, and he told me that the reports within the book did not say that they were just listening to music. I bring this story up because that was a phone call where I was 1,500 miles away. Did the NCAA enforcement staff believe that Andre would ever tell me the truth if we were face-to-face? Absolutely not. He would have lied and lied some more. He knew how much the dorm meant to me. He knew how sickened I would be by his actions. Bernie Madoff fooled the smartest people on Wall Street, SEC, family, brokers, and major hedge funds. There are no questions that I asked to even give me a small clue as to what was going on. Security employees, managers, assistant coaches, fellow students, and most importantly, Billy Minardi's children and my nephews all lived in that dorm. They were all questioned by me, and no one had any suspicion of any inappropriate activities going on in that dormitory. I am not concerned about the outside world and what they think. My players, coaches, and employees who have worked with me for years know how I am with rules and total compliance to the NCAA. I write this letter to our fans to keep your heads high and believe that the appeals committee will get it right and our values will continue to instill the right things in our student-athletes. Over 12 years ago, I hurt my wife and family by doing some improper things. I paid a heavy price with them and the Lord. We as a family are closer today than ever before, and my faith is stronger than at any point in my life. I'm in this game for one reason and one reason, to teach young men how to reach their potential on and off the court. You, our loyal Louisville family, can rest assured we believe in doing the right thing and doing things that are important in the eyes of God. Rick Pitino. You know, I I read a book for school, for a school assignment in one of my uh, leadership classes last term. And we had to select it from a list of books. And one of the books that was offered was a book by Rick Pitino called Lead to Succeed, um, a book that he wrote with Bill Reynolds uh, some years ago. And I've actually got the book in front of me here. And let me see if I can figure out exactly uh, when it was written. Uh, first trade paperback edition published in 2001. And in this book... Rick Pitino says something that he also said when all of this news broke. And it was, 
if you tell the truth, it becomes part of your past. Lie about it, and it becomes part of your future. Now, this is something that Rick Pitino says in this book from 2001, or 2000, depending on which publication date you look at, but several years ago, the bottom line. And he says this in this book, and then when all of this happens, he still says the same thing that he believed all those years ago. And that is why when people ask me, UK fans, UofL fans, whoever, when they ask me if I think that Rick Pitino knew anything, that's why I always say no. I don't believe that Rick Pitino knew anything. Why, if he knew anything, as, as much as he talks about Billy Minardi and how much he meant to him, and he says it in this book, and he talks about it too, and he talks about it every chance he gets about Billy Minardi and, and what building that dorm meant to him and how he did the fundraising to build that dorm. And how much now, with what he went through 12 years ago and what he brought on himself 12 years ago, how much his family means to him and how much family in general and means to him. So to think that he would let something like that go on and know about it and do nothing about it, I just, I, I just can't. I can't believe that he would know and, and let it go on. Now, have I been wrong before about many things? Yes, I have. And is there, you know, a chance that I could be wrong? Maybe. I guess there's always a chance. But I just, and I don't know Coach Patino. I've met him one time in my life, and I was really young. It was when they were still doing the Cardinal Caravan. Um, and I met him at Captain's Quarters, and he shook my hand, and he took a picture with me. But I just have a feeling that that he did not know. He could not have known. When the NCAA says that he didn't ask the right questions, well, what are you supposed to ask? How many coaches in America would think to ask an assistant, are you having strippers in the dorm? Now, obviously, after all of this, they there might be some coaches that do ask that. But, I mean, this was somebody that Rick thought he could trust. This was a former player, somebody that wore the red and black and sweat and bled and worked for this program. What reason in the world did he have to not believe him? To to ever question him? I don't know. I don't know. So now I'm going to step off my soapbox a little bit here. I know I kind of I kind of went off there, but I just it's just been bugging me. And that's what this outlet is for. That's for us to talk and get these things out. So I felt like I could do that with you guys. And again, if you want to read the book, I highly, highly recommend it. It's called Lead to Succeed um, by Rick Pitino. You can get it on Amazon, and that's that's where I got mine from. And it's not that expensive, but it is a good read. And it's kind of a quick read, too. You get going, and you just kind of fly through it. So, But I do recommend it. And you'll read some of the things in that book that he says that he still says now. And you just understand how rooted... He is in uh, in his beliefs, and probably more so now than ever. So, guys, if you want to, again, hit us up on Twitter. It's at the Breakdown UL. 
Um, also, make sure you're sharing out the podcast. We really, really, really appreciate when you do that um, and keep growing our listener base because it means a lot to us. Also, uh, feel free to check out the website, thebreakdownul.com. Um, if you miss any of the episodes, you can go there and check them out. Um, you can also go to uh, the podcast app. Uh, subscribe to our podcast and listen to past episodes on there as well. Um, you'll especially want to do that as we roll through the summer football preview series, um, which we are going to continue this week as uh, Evan Davis of Tar Heel Blog on SB Nation will join the show here in just a few minutes as we will talk a little North Carolina football with him. Um, they are Louisville's second opponent this season on the schedule as the cards travel to Chapel Hill for that game, uh, the first time those two teams have played in a number of years. Um, the last time being here uh, in Louisville, I forget what year exactly that was. Um, I'm going to have to look that up now because I'm going to be wondering. Let's see. I think it was 2000 and maybe it was 11 or 12. We'll look that up later. We'll find out. Maybe uh, maybe Evan will know. We can ask Evan that one. Um, so that's still coming up. And then we also are going to be talking a little bit of Louisville baseball. The Cardinal 9 are set to do battle with TCU in an elimination game tonight in Omaha. That game at 8 o'clock on ESPN. So make sure you tune in for that one. We'll talk a little bit about that game Um when we wrap up with Evan and get you everything that you need to know uh, as we head into that game. A winner-go-home one for the Cards tonight. It's going to be a big one. I I believe freshman lefty Nick Bennett's going to be on the mound. Uh, Nick has had good stuff all year. So we just have to to hope that the Cards can, can pull this one out and then get on a roll because they would they would then have to beat Florida tomorrow night and then likely have to turn around and beat Florida again uh, on Saturday. So we will see how that goes, but um, we'll get into more of that matchup uh, coming up here in just a little bit on the program. So we've already covered uh, the NBA draft and talked about Donovan Mitchell projected to go number 11 right now to the Charlotte Hornets. I do think it's a good spot for him. Um, if you don't think it's a good spot, at me. I don't care. Go <laughs> go ahead. Um, if you're just uh, kind of wondering where uh, Lewis is at, he is, again, on vacation. I'm telling you, the kid goes everywhere. I'm, t- I'm, I'm serious. Like, he was in Greensboro a couple of weeks ago. Now he's in Savannah which I did tell him before he left that Savannah is one of the most haunted cities in America. So I'm hoping right now that he's not like being attacked by ghosts or anything like that um, because it is. It is one of the most haunted places in uh, in America. So if you're interested and you're into that stuff, then take a trip to Savannah. And hopefully Lewis will have some good stories for us uh, next week when he gets back and uh, can tell us of some ghostly encounters or something that he had down there in Savannah. We'll get... Uh, We'll get his opinion and see uh, see what he was dealing with uh, while he was down there. If he had any kind of like encounters of the third kind or something like that, 
Uh, next week, just a little heads up, guys, a little programming note. Next week, we will be continuing summer football preview series, uh, talking Clemson football. So mark your calendars for that one uh, as the Tigers will travel to Louisville to take on the cards in the third game uh, of the season. And that is coming up next week. We will talk Clemson uh, with probably, I believe we will have David Hood on. I have to double check and make sure. Um, but uh, we will be talking Clemson next week. We are, however, talking North Carolina this week. Um, the current projections have the Tar Heels right at 7-5 and five and 4-4 four and four in the ACC. Uh, just quickly glancing over their schedule, you don't really see a, uh, a difficult stretch in the schedule there for the Tar Heels as they will open with California and then welcome Louisville into Chapel Hill. And we are very happy to welcome now Evan Davis of Tar Heel Blog, Vespi Nation, into our show right now. Evan, what's going on, brother? Well, not too much. Thank you all for having me on. Oh, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. Uh, Evan joining us here as we get into the Summer Football Preview Series tonight, talking North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, Evan, some big changes coming for the Tar Heels this season. Obviously, the big one is replacing Mitch Trubisky, the uh, now Chicago Bear, after he had an incredible season last year uh, for North Carolina. So just right off the bat, Evan, what is your feel for that quarterback position? Obviously, uh, the transfer in of uh, Brandon Harris from LSU is going to be big, a dual-threat quarterback there. Um, seems like he would fit really well in that up-tempo uh, North Carolina style of offense. So what are you feeling right now? What are you thinking as far as the quarterback position? That's right, and, and you have to expect that Brandon Harris will be the presumable starter. Uh, of course, he wasn't there for the spring game. Uh, so there's a little bit of question mark on who the competition will be. Um, but you have to think with the spread offense at Carolina, that's what he had in high school where he came out as a four-star top 100 recruit. You have to think that the Larry Fedor offense will be better suited for him. Um, he has a style much more like Marquise Williams than Mitch Trebinsky. And that 2015 season where uh, Williams put up uh, almost a thousand yard rushing along with over 3000 yards passing. Uh, you know, there's a lot of other factors involved with that, but just looking at that in a vacuum, you got to think that he's set up for success. And Evan, it's not just the quarterback position uh, with this North Carolina offense. I mean, they lose the top three running backs, top three wide receivers, and three of their top five offensive linemen. So lots of holes uh, for this North Carolina offense to fill. Where do you think they go at running back? Where do you think they go at wide receiver? Well, the biggest question will be in the backfield. So there is Stanton Truitt, a graduate transfer, but then a undersized running back, junior uh, Antonio James, and then two freshmen. So my guess would be Truett starting out there, James working it in, but it might be a running back running back by committee. Now, on, on the wide receiver front, not as many question marks. You have mm-hmm. Austin Prohl coming in, 
presumably the number one guy. Uh, he, he was third on the team last year in that third and fourth slot at wide receiver in yards. So you got to think he's got the first slot. You got another senior with Thomas Jackson. So not as worried with the wide receiver core, but certainly in the backfield, lots of questions. And then I, I know, trust me, from experience uh, here at Louisville the last couple of seasons, offensive line will make or break the offensive side of the football. Um, That's right. Are we are we comfortable right now with where North Carolina is at as far as depth goes at the offensive line? I mean, they do have some pieces that they need to they need to fill. That's right. Well, the the good thing is they do have a graduate transfer in Cameron Dillard coming in, presumably the starter at center. That that was the biggest question mark at center. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have him coming in. He was at Florida. He started there until he had a knee injury and then just was ne- never able to get back up in the depth chart. So I think at center you're, you're looking okay. Um, the good news is last year had some injuries, had some inexperienced guys, but you have some people now, especially at the guard position, where they came in last year as redshirt freshmen, and they're presumably going to be the starters uh, in those. So you have a senior on the tackle on the left-hand side. You got second-year starters at guard. You got a graduate transfer at senior. So you know, just at right tackle, there might be some competition between two redshirt sophomores. But I actually feel better about the offensive line coming into this year than last year. Evan Davis, our guest here, Tar Heel Blog on SB Nation. You can follow him at Evan. Uh, underscore THB, Tar Heel blog. Uh, Evan, on the defensive side of the football, some changes on in the coaching staff. Gone is Gene Chizik now. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at a defensive line that it's a unit that seemed to struggle at times last year and now losing Nazir Jones, who was kind of the, the staple and the anchor of that defensive line. Um, it, just... What are you, what are your impressions of the defense now moving forward under new new coaching while still a coach that was on the staff but and looks like they're keeping some of the same philosophy but they're gonna have to address that defensive line um, and and some of the linebacker position as well. That's right. So as has been the case in the Fedora era when uh, the high octane offense has had to carry the weight of the team overall. Uh, you actually saw in the spring game, maybe the defense, uh, maybe they won that uh, if you were going that route. Mm-hmm. Because I think the big difference is you're losing less people on the defense. The top three tacklers from last year return. And on that defensive line, that, that's that's the biggest question mark for me, the biggest cause of concern for Tar Heel fans because of that rush defense being so bad. But, mm-hmm. you know, it have been making progress. Just a little bit. Um, But, you know, the good news is you have a lot of returners in that rotation. Now, injuries, of course, uh, that on both sides of the line there in the trenches, those were the biggest areas of concern last year with injuries and inexperience coming in. So the good thing is you have some of those folks that were uh, the first time really seeing any substantive game action. They're going to be back in the rotation. Of course, Nas Jones. That's a big hole to fill, but there are some good people. You might see Jalen Dalton. He was a highly sought-after recruit. He's going to be a junior this year. Um, 
of course, they are returning their leading uh, uh, sack person from last year, Malik uh, Carney. He's on the end. Uh, so, you know, there is some experience that's returning. Um, so, uh, again, some hesitation there, some question marks, but I don't think that uh, uh, people are quite as worried as they were last year. Well, I mean, the the good news is the Tar Heels at the bottom of the ACC as far as rushing yards allowed. So even marginal improvement here in this season is going to make a world of difference, you would think, uh, right. for that rush defense. Uh, Evan Davis, our guest here, Tar Heel blog on SB Nation. All right, Evan, just in your opinion here, and we're not uh, we're not looking at statistics or anything like that, but just this is Evan's opinion here. Um, what do you think is probably the strength of this North Carolina team heading into this season? I think that you have some solid hands at wide receiver, and that's going to help Brandon Harris, presumably the starter. Mm-hmm. It's going to help him get comfortable. Last year, you got to think about uh, Trebinsky and his security blanket, Ryan Switzer. You have a similar guy in Austin Prohl son of NFL star Ricky. Uh, you have him coming in as the number one guy, and I see him as being that security blanket for Brandon Harris. So with an offense, especially the transition last year from Williams to Trubinsky, uh, and I, this was something that I wrote about in my season in review uh, near the end of 2016, was that the passing plays bumped up quite a bit. I think is about 7% more. So it went from a uh, rush first or rush heavy to a pass heavy. So um, especially with the running back situation, I think you'll see uh, that trend continue. However, with Brandon Harris being a dual threat, I think that you'll see him get a lot more opportunities to run like Marquise Williams did two years ago. Uh, But, you know, again, you don't have the other threats in the backfield as of yet. Uh, you can't rely on Brandon Harris to do all the running. Exactly, and that seems to be uh, – that's been an issue here at Louisville too the, the past couple of seasons when you look at Lamar Jackson and, and his production in the running game, and he's not getting a lot of help from the running back position. Um, and that's something that I know mm-hmm. that we've been talking about a lot around here this season for the cards is that that running back position has really got to step up because now everybody in the ACC knows what Lamar Jackson's going to do that's right. And it can't all be on him, and it can't all be on Brandon Harris, um, especially if there's offensive line issues um, this mm-hmm. season, for him to, to try to do all the running. You just – we've seen it. It, it doesn't always work that way, especially right, right. when defensive start keying on it and they know exactly what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Evan. So – and it, this can be a freshman. This can be a grad transfer. But in your mind – who is really poised to kind of have a, a breakout or a real impact on this season? I'm looking towards the defense, and I'm looking at Andre Smith, the middle linebacker. Mm-hmm. I I just loved his play last year. He's got a real nose for the football. He was the second leading tackler on the team, and you have all three linebackers coming back. You got uh, two juniors. One senior, you got a senior uh, experience group there. So I look for Andre Smith to have just a, a big year. I would go as far to say he would be uh, first team all ACC. I, I don't think there's any doubt when you watch Andre, uh, 
he's a hard hitter. <laughs> that that oh, is yeah. that oh, is yeah. for certain. Uh, and plenty of ACC teams already know that. Plenty are going to figure that out more uh, this season, I would imagine. Uh, mm-hmm. When you look at the schedule, Evan, and I, I've obviously I've got it in front of me here, but Carolina opens the year against Cal and Louisville, two back-to-back home games. Uh, then they got at Old Dominion, uh, Duke at Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, Virginia at Virginia Tech, Miami at Pitt, Western Carolina, and then wrap up the season at NC State. When you look at that schedule, at least to me, I don't see any real tough stretch like we normally see in in some schedules where you've got maybe two games or three games that you just, man, if we can just make it through that, then we're going to be all right. It seems like this is a really well-balanced schedule for North Carolina this season. I I think so. If I was going to pick out a stretch, it's going to be from the Virginia Tech road game to the Pitt road game with Miami and Holman there in the middle. Mm -hmm. Last year, uh, we were hanging in the coastal there, the infamous hurricane game at home against Virginia Tech (laughs) derailed everything. You had the bad loss at Duke, and I was at that game. Uh, I was also at the NC State game, so maybe I just shouldn't show up to some of those later (laughs) games. Um, But, you know, that that time of year, and I think uh, the projections at this time have us um, uh, not as the favorite for two out of those three and just a slight favorite at at Pitt. So, Mm -hmm. um, for me, that's, that's the pivotal stretch um, you know, there could be those coastal division implications and it was just really disappointing last year, especially that Duke game, um, because he had an opportunity to get ahead there. And then, uh, you know, that was a game that, that they just should not have lost. So, uh, that October stretch, we'll see what happens. Um, hopefully it w- they, those games will be important and this year they just got to take advantage of them. Do you think, and, and Evan Davis, our guest here at Tar Heel Blog, do you think, Evan, that we're kind of seeing a a bit of a renaissance in that coastal division? I mean, it seems like Miami's getting it going uh, under Mark Richt. It seems like Virginia Tech obviously had a great year last year. Uh, North Carolina's been playing really well lately. Uh, it seems like, and, and Georgia Tech as well, that the coastal division is really starting to elevate their play. I think so, it, but it's just going to be tough. I, I know I was listening to the radio yesterday, and they were talking about Clemson and who they were bringing in. You know, I, it's just going to be tough for the Coastal uh, to compete with the Atlantic as long as uh, Clemson and Florida State, those two are really having the good recruiting classes that they do. But, you know, like they say, that's why you play the game. Two years ago, that one against Clemson in the ACC championship, you know, a couple more plays, it could have went the other way. Exactly. Uh, and I'm going to throw this one on you, and, and I know you probably weren't prepared for me to ask this one, but I was just sure. thinking as we were talking about the scheduling, a lot of people have been talking, and we heard more about it last year than we have in this offseason, but about reshuffling the divisions and, and re and moving mm-hmm. some teams around to kind of get more balance and, and more – competitiveness across the league would you say that you're where do you where do you fall in that as far as reshuffling these divisions I, I agree with it I think as a practical standpoint especially with the expansion in the past decade or so how, how do you do that I know that the uh, the traditional game with Wake Forest several years ago got bumped out mm-hmm. um, and I think it would be beneficial for uh, teams like Carolina 
uh, especially on the recruiting standpoint, that they played the a big games at Florida State like last year. Right. And if they go to Death Valley, you know, the, the, the top recruits want to be in these venues for the big games. So in a sense, you do need to shuffle a little bit. I think, uh, you know, in a practical standpoint, it might be a little bit tougher to, to figure out who – uh, or the most equity between the teams competing for the division crowns because you could have some issues there uh, and, and some outcry if one team wins the division and they had the shuffle deck and they got the better cards mm-hmm. and you have a team that was uh, deserving but they had the tough matchups and couldn't pull it out. So I, I think just because of how many teams are in the league and really in all the power five except for the the big 12 you know you're going to have that issue um but i think from a um, matchup standpoint i think folks uh in chapel hill would like to see wake forest more often and they would want to want to go to uh, the big venues florida state clemson go to louisville um you know if you're missing out on those other top teams and other divisions you know you had those question marks and i heard that a lot in 2015 with carolina winning the coastal well, they didn't have to play. Da 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 da. Exactly. So, so maybe if you have a little more shuffle, um, that argument becomes less relevant. Any uh, any thoughts on the Notre Dame as far as they're they're playing? What is it now? Four games or five games mm-hmm. they have to play in the in the ACC? I know a lot of people want Notre Dame in the league. I think Notre Dame doesn't really care to be in the league right now, but it's kind of like they're dipping the toe in the pond and reaping all the benefits mm-hmm. um, of being in the league without actually being in the league. Um, That's right. Would you like to see the Irish eventually as members of the ACC? I think on their end they're going to have to. Once their NBC deal runs out, um, it's going to be uh, really media-driven. And I don't. And I think it ends 2025. I mean, it's a good ways off. Mm-hmm. So that would certainly be the, the end post. I think that's where they want to stretch it to uh, because they're getting so much revenue exclusively from that deal. But I think with uh, the media landscape, how things are changing with rights and how viewers are watching the games, there's big differences between the time they signed that NBC deal and where we're at now. And who knows where we're going to be in uh, a few more years. Right. So I think for a revenue standpoint, they're going to have to um, – and I think it still rubs a lot of people wrong that they're they're getting this special provision and they're you know they're they're in but they're out like you were saying. Right. I think the best thing for the rest of the ACC is to get them all the way in, and I think that you'll probably have some shakeups with the Big Twelve, and I see Texas as a potential. Uh, next member for the ACC because I, I just don't think the Big 12 can last. Um, and so eventually they're going to have to shuffle some more and get some even numbers, and um, Notre Dame's going to have to fall in line at some point. Boy, that would be some – that would make for some fun uh, ACC games. You get some some Texas-North Carolina matchups mm-hmm. with the Mac Brown uh, history there in that one. and. That's right, and I actually went to that game way back when. <laughs> the first the first game, Matt Brown uh, came back to Chapel Hill at Texas, and that, whew, it was a slaughter. The, the joke that was going on in the stands was, all right, let's get into their territory, and then on first down, let's just kick it, get four tries, get, kick a field goal, and see if we can get some points on the board. <laughs> you know, we were trying all, all the different tricks, trying to get something going there. But 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I certainly think, especially uh, for them as uh, a strong football, well, historically strong football yeah, school. there you go. <laughs> and and uh, um, a pretty good basketball school, too. I, I think they're a, a good fit out of the potential uh, schools out there. It's definitely going to be an interesting next couple of years as these media rights deals start coming up and, and there are some changes and some things that have to be made. It's, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch. And I think the ACC um, right now with their product and with the teams that we've got, I think the conference is in a really good position um, mm-hmm. right now. Probably Absolutely. stronger position than they've been in in, in a number of years. Um, I agree. I agree. That I can remember. And especially with the ACC network deal. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's a that's a huge factor, and I think that um, it kind of goes along with how people are viewing the games now, and if people are logging in, streaming the games, they have the ESPN packet with you know whatever they have with cable or mm-hmm. internet. It's going to be a whole lot easier for them to watch uh, the way they want to with an app like that streaming the ACC network, much like the SEC network does now. Um, you know, I don't know too many people that have any bunny ears on the TV to pick up uh, the over-the-air right. broadcasts. And, of course, you know, it's all about convenience for the viewer. And so I think it's just a matter of time for Notre Dame. And I think the ACC network deal certainly pushed it in that direction. I think the ACC network, as you and I can definitely speak to, as, as uh, people that cover – two uh, perennially powerful ACC baseball programs um, in the Tar Heels and the Cardinals that mm-hmm. it would be uh, very good for the uh, baseball programs to have this ACC network and more visibility for both baseball teams and all the teams in the ACC. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because I, I can't tell you how many times that you get a good um, middle-of-the-week matchup and it's just not anywhere. You know, you can't watch it. And I absolutely agree. If they can get more coverage – to those types of events, um, I think it's going to benefit um, the programs across the board. Well, Evan Davis, our guest here on the breakdown, Evan Davis Tar Heel blog. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Evan underscore THB. Buddy, we're going to get one more out of you, then we're going to let you go here. I always like to ask all of our guests before we let them go their opinions. Uh, on the Louisville football team headed into next season. So as somebody that will no doubt be looking more mm-hmm. into this program, and as I'm sure you'll be doing some posts on, on your website about this game coming up, um, what do you think when you look at Louisville and how they're set up for this coming season? When you got the returning Heisman winner, especially <laughs> someone that's a dual threat, and we talked about the run defense, I mean – that that's a concern and especially being the second week um with and and you know i haven't done a whole lot of research on on your end Mm -hmm. um but uh, correct me if i'm wrong there's some changes on your offensive line as well exactly um so there could be opportunities there but there might not be enough tape to get a good idea uh of the the situation on offense so you know if i was guessing um it's going to be a high scoring game in chapel hill um you know, if I if I was to guess, it's going to be who is going to outlast the other one. Exactly. Um, I don't know if it's going to quite be like uh, that uh, Carolina ECU game a few years ago when ECU put up seventy and we had fifty some. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, but you know, I, I remember uh, I was in Chapel Hill 
getting ready to go to the ball game when y'all were playing uh, Florida State. And what was it, 63 to nothing at one point? Yeah, it was uh, 63 to uh, three, I believe, at yeah, one point. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, you know, who, know, who knows what could happen? So I certainly think it's going to be uh, a shootout um, who could last the longest. But, of course, we could have some surprises there, um, especially, you know, to me, for, for this Carolina team, it's going to come down once again to the trenches, both on the offensive side and the defensive side. So, um, you know, who knows? Maybe we could have a little bit of luck on the de- defensive line, um, get some pressure in the backfield, but um, I'd expect it's going to be a, a big-time game. It's definitely going to be a fun one. These are the things you join the ACC for if you're Louisville for games like this. Evan Davis, our guest here, Tar Heel Blog, part of the SB Nation group there. Evan, thank you so much for your time, brother, and uh, hopefully yeah. we can have you on again uh, the week of the game and, and get your opinion on that one. Well, we can certainly do that, and uh, thanks for having me on, and y'all keep up the good work, okay? Anytime. Thanks, Evan. Thanks. Bye-bye. Evan Davis, our guest here, Tar Heel Blog. Really appreciate his time uh, and giving us some insight on the Tar Heels coming up this season. All right, guys, a few more minutes left in the show. Let's get right into it here. The Cards and the Horned Frogs doing battle, 8 o'clock ESPN. Uh, Nick Bennett will be the starting pitcher for the Cardinals the Horn Frogs will likely go with either Michael Traver, the senior righty, or the freshman lefty, Nick Lodolo. If I had to guess, I'd say it's probably going to be Nick Lodolo. Um, we're looking here. Da, 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 da. Okay, Nick Bennett um, enters this elimination game with a 5-0 and record, a 2.70 ERA, 59 strikeouts in 63.1 innings of work including 12 starts and 14 total appearances. It's going to be his first action since he threw five innings in a no decision against Xavier in Louisville's regional title game uh, back on June the 4th. Going back a little bit to the uh, Conference USA days here with TCU, the Cards are 5-11 all-time against TCU, but obviously haven't played them since 2005. Uh, the Horn Frogs took three of four against the Cards as Conference USA members. Uh, the 16 previous games between the programs were played from 02 to 05. Um, Louisville defeated Big 12 foe Oklahoma 11 to one, and uh, T- uh, I believe Oklahoma beat TCU um, at the end of the Big 12 season. So who knows? Maybe that's a little bit of uh, good luck for the Cards. We will see. Um, this one, again, guys, it's a winner-go-home game here for the Cards. If they lose tonight to TCU, it's over with. If they beat TCU tonight, then they will play Florida tomorrow and then would need to beat Florida again, I believe, on Saturday in order to make it to the championship round. Um, so a lot of work still ahead for the Cardinals but I look at this TCU team, they're a good team, um, they're good defensively, they've got some power in their lineup, um, they're not going to overwhelm you though with their hitting. I like Nick Bennett, I think Louisville, if you can get five or six strong innings out of Nick Bennett, I think you're in good shape um, before you have to go to the bullpen, and if you go to the bullpen, you've got guys uh be it an Adam Wolf, uh, Lincoln Hensman, uh, guys like that that you can run out there. 
Um, for Louisville, it's just going to be get the sticks moving. Um, that's what they're going to have to do uh, in order to get a, get a win tonight. And, I mean, I know it sounds probably a little uh, cliched, but it's the truth. I mean, that's the one thing that they could not do against Florida. Uh, they played a pretty good defensive game against Florida. Uh, Cade McClure, for the exception of two pitches, literally two pitches, had a great game on the mound, um, and Louisville just could not get the offense going. So the cards have got to come out swinging early, get a lead, uh, get Nick Bennett in a rhythm, and and come out and get a victory. And let's extend that stay in Omaha just a little while longer um, because with everything else we've had going on right now as Louisville fans, um, and it's been a lot, this baseball team has been something we can hang our hat on and be proud of and be happy about. And no matter what happens tonight, if the cards can't get it done against TCU, it's still an incredible season, a 53-win season for the cards as it stands right now. It's still awesome. It's still something to be proud of. Um, but we all want that championship. And I know these guys, and I know Coach Mack won it too. So we will be cheering them on from here again. That game, 8 o'clock tonight on ESPN. Run to the roar, guys. Let's go get 54. That's all the time we have on the show tonight. Once again, I'm Taylor Lynch. You've been listening to another episode of The Breakdown. We'll see you guys again next week, same time, same place. Go Cards, beat TCU. Again, big thanks to Evan Davis of Tar Heel Blog for joining us on the show tonight. Peace out, guys. But there's a couple things that you